This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Welcome to Culture and Value. My name is Mark English. I want to say something about nationalism. The topic came up in the last episode of this podcast, which was about Gottlob Frege, as well as in a piece I wrote recently in which I tried to pull together some of my ideas on culture and language. As I said there in the written piece, the concepts under discussion were relevant to current events and controversies. How you see these concepts affects where you stand in relation to many controversial questions. I'm not going to talk about language here, however, but I will say that my approach to nationalism is influenced by my views on culture in a general sense. I'm skeptical of ideology and prefer to see such things as nationalism primarily in cultural and historical rather than in purely political or ideological terms. My starting point is Gottlob Frege's somewhat surprising patriotic commitments. The mildest and most rational of men, Frege was not a political activist. We know very little about him, actually, as a person. But we have some private jottings which he made late in life after World War I, and which show that he believed that the scientific rationality which he exemplified in his professional life was not sufficient to deal with many political questions. At times, it appears, he wrote, that a participation of feeling is needed to be able to make sound, rational judgments in political matters. Moreover, he saw patriotism as a desirable prejudice. There was a widespread belief in his country at the time that Germany had lost the Great War due to a lack of support for or indeed active undermining of the war effort on the part of certain sections of the population. So Frege's reflections were not just abstract theorizing. And this is my point. These sorts of questions simply can't be answered in the abstract. It's not as if there is this free-floating thing called patriotism or nationalism which we can define precisely and make universally applicable judgments about. These concepts, like most political concepts, only make sense when they're applied in particular situations. The context is crucial. What is the nature of the state or nation to which loyalty is being demanded? How does this loyalty relate to regional loyalties, for example? On the latter issue, um, I often um, think of a, an old World War I-era British marching song, which I was exposed to as a... Um, as a two- or three-year-old, I was a mad marcher, and um, there was a recording of this song that um, was drilled into my brain. Um, the words um, began, Now is the time for marching, now let your hearts be gay. Hark to the merry bugles sounding along the way. So let your voices ring, my boys, and take the time from me and I'll sing you a song as we march along of Sussex by the sea. And then in the recording I remember a rather formidable male cho chorus continues, for we're the men from Sussex, Sussex by the sea, we plough and sow and reap and mow and useful men are we. And when you go to Sussex, whoever you may be, you may tell them all that we stand or fall for Sussex by the sea.
I'll come back to this. If the notion of a culture is vague and difficult to define, the notion of a national culture is even more problematic. Where there can be said to be such a thing as a national culture, it is of necessity imposed and artificial, in contrast to regional cultures which are shaped over long periods of time by local conditions and practices. Generally, I think it makes more sense to talk of national myths and ideologies rather than of, of national cultures. National myths and their associated narratives are not necessarily bad. They can be seen as serving positive purposes. Can, they can help maintain social harmony within nations and counter various kinds of social conflict between classes, between regions, between generations, and so on. Patriotic feelings can sometimes seem to see can sometimes seem to arise spontaneously, but usually this is dependent on previous conditioning. There's a biological element also. We are naturally disposed to favour close kin, and ultimately nationalism is built on the foundation of such instincts. Having, having given one historical popular culture-based example, I'll give another. It's a short poem I learned at school as a small child, and it relates to, to the point I've just made. It was written by the radical journalist Mary Gilmore, I think in um, around 1940. I don't vouch for its literary quality, but it always stuck in my mind. The title, Nationalism. I have grown past hate and bitterness. I see the world as one. But though I can no longer hate, my son is still my son. All men at God's round table sit, and all men must be fed. But this loaf in my hand, this loaf is my son's bread. Clearly, the powers that be within many countries have had no scruples about stirring up hatred and bitterness and have routinely tried to generate patriotic fervour in times of international tension and war in order to manipulate and control their people and motivate young men to fight, to join the military and fight. Think of the Marseillaise, very bloody. Sussex by the Sea is subtle by comparison, but it involves the cynical exploitation of local cultural loyalties to serve a, a national purpose, a militaristic national purpose. The dark side of nationalism is militarism, war, xenophobia, and the history of Europe demonstrates this and is continuing to do so. The rise of the nation-state and the gradual decline and erosion of traditional supranational structures like the Holy Roman Empire was associated with extremely bloody conflicts, but the causes of war are complex and often have more to do with economic than political or cultural factors. Ideology and myth play into international conflict mainly at the level of mass psychology as a propaganda tool. I've, I've talked in the past about neoconservative and related traditions of thought which have been supportive of a continuing imperial role for the United States. These people see the US not only as 
standing for certain liberal or liberal democratic values, but also as being responsible for actively promulgating liberal democracy in the world at large. After a number of disastrous interventions, this is proving to have been a serious mistake. Foreign policy should, in my opinion, be based on pragmatic and utilitarian considerations, not least because self-righteous, ideologically driven thinking all too easily obscures the simple and overriding truth that large-scale military conflict between major powers is guaranteed to bring about the worst of all possible outcomes.